Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Cecilia Lopez, a composer, musician, multimedia artist, originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina, currently based in New York, United States. I came to know Cecilia's work through her collaborations with Wenchi Lazo, in which Cecilia's contributions, synthesizer improvisations, are always so, and I mean this in a nice way, garish, very aware of the kind of norms that are applied implicitly around electronic textures, what qualifies as too much of this particular effect or that particular effect. There's an uncouthness, an awareness of those boundaries that Cecilia deliberately crosses. It gives her textures such a vivid sensation in the mind. There's almost as well an air of humour about the way that she's going about it. And she released a work this year called Red DB, which is actually a documentation of a live performance she did back in June 2019 at Roulette Intermedium in New York. And as part of that performance, she collaborated with Brandon Lopez on bass, Gerald Cleaver on drums, Julia Kavanaugh credited as movement. And within the stage area hung these huge nets of speaker wire containing basses in one and snare drums in another with which the musicians were collaborating, making resonate with their own instruments. Cecilia is also processing Brandon's bass in real time. There's all these lines of interconnection. The whole thing is scored as well. There's so much going on, so many forces at play, both present tense forces and those that are premeditated the whole performance is fabulous so there's an audio documentation like I say if you go to ceciliolopez.bandcamp.com you can hear that and if you go to cecilia-lopez.com there's also pictures of the score and a whole video of the 50 minute performance too I love speaking to Cecilia we had a really good time she picked three interesting records Loved the use of analogy throughout this conversation. And I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you always for listening. This is Cecilia Lopez on Crucial Listening. Hello, Cecilia. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank uh, you for again. coming on. <laughs> and so we're here to talk about three important records that you've picked. Before we get to those three records, I want to ask about 
RedDB, which is a documentation of a live performance at Roulette Intermedium in New York back in 2019. So from what I can see, Red is manifested in various forms, iterations over the past few years. Um, so I wondered if you could start by introducing Red generally, like what is Red? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 certainly. Um, well, I would say that um, it's, in a way, like, it's a material more than it is, um, you know, uh, a piece, like uh, like a closed uh, framework or something. Mm -hmm. I Around, like, two, 2015, I started working with this um, knitting speaker cable with microphones, um, piezoelectric microphones and, and speakers and creating this kind of like net uh, surface that then I would use to perform because it would like fold, you know, upon itself and it would create feedback and depending on how you uh, move it or touch it, it will create like different sounds and stuff. And I used to work with feedback before that, but that was like a sort of like a new, you know, I was like, oh, this is like a complete new thing. So the, the beginning of, of red, uh, which in, in Spanish means uh, net, actually. Okay. Is like uh, solo improvisations of me with that material. So that would be like hanging and swinging, you know, back and forth. And I would like EQ the signal and um, manipulate it to, to get like different tones. Um, but that's kind of like the core, the core of the piece. Um, I guess I was like looking into creating like um, some kind of like electronic device that was a little bit more organic than circuit based stuff. Mm. So in a way it's like there's there's no circuit there, uh, everything is exposed and the the sound is organic because it's more tied to the movement of the of the thing that it is tied to some like obscure electronic path or something. Mhm. Mm yeah, and then I, I got interested in that and in the in the in the in the fact that the the instrument seems to have like some kind of like agency on its own. It's very unpredictable. It's sort of like a duo situation or, or like a dialogue. It's not so much about like controlling the thing, but you know, I'm it's more it's more a back and forth in a way. Maybe you've answered this there as well, but I mean like I say, I, I've seen red appear over several years in various documentations of your performances and installations mm -hmm. and what going back to I think like 2016 was the earliest picture I've seen maybe even earlier than that but I mean what is it about the premise of Red that has kept it in your orbit or kept it interesting to you and, and, and made you want to bring it back into these these various iterations in different spaces and stuff yeah, I think it's the fact that um, uh, this 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 point that I was mentioning, that the instrument is like very unpredictable and it seems to have some kind of like agency on its own. Mm -hmm. So it's never like a, I mean the, you know my interactions with it uh, are always different and are always like challenging in a way because I might be expecting something but then like something else comes up. Mm. So in a way, it's always fresh, and and it's not a piece. I mean, as much as I like perform it, you know, often it's not a piece that I, for example, rehearse. So um, you know, maybe I play it like twice a year, but that's like the two times of the year in which like I interact with it. 
Mm. So, f you know, for me, it's like a fresh encounter with that material always. For RedDB, it became like a little bit more of a conceptual, you know, development of it in a way. Yeah, so let's move on to RedDB. So you're joined by Gerald Cleaver on drums, Brandon Lopez on bass, mm -hmm. and Julia Kavanagh, whose role is described as movement. I assume Julia is the one moving the nets back and forth along with yourself. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so it was 2019, I think this performance, the, the mm -hmm. documented performance that appears on RedDB. So can you tell me about your memories of that performance? <laughs> memories. I mean, I remember driving a U-Haul uh, through, uh, you know, Lower East Side, going to rent double bases to put them on the net. Uh, under the pouring rain, I'm being like, what am I, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> and knowing that I had like a 12-hour setup day that day, and then the next day I had the show, and I remember getting to the place and being like, there's no way I can get this done. But, but it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's a memory. <laughs> and being like, uh, renting the double ways and being like, no, everything is going to be safe. Everything is going to be fine. I'm thinking like, oh my God. <laughs> Can I pay for this? <laughs> um, no, let's see. Um, yeah, it was a, that was a challenging performance, <laughs> for sure. Um, in a way, I had done the... Because for, for that piece, the nets take the shape or of like, kind of like cocoons or like fishing nets, right? I don't mm -hmm. know how you would describe it better. No, that... For people that haven't seen it. Yeah, they're... they're um... Uh, fishing nets is a really really good one because they're like they're elongated aren't they they're vertically they're, they're taller than they are wide and they um <laughs> fishing nets is good cecilia i think you nailed it <laughs> but it's but they're made with speaker wire still it's not like just like a fishing net that i mm -hmm. i don't even know where you get that but um so i had done an iteration of the of of that with the with the net holding double bases as an installation right Mm. in Ecuador in 2018. But that was different because the piece was there for like three months and I had like a week to set up. Um, and, and for this, this, this show at Roulette, uh, Roulette is interesting because they do a lot of intermediate stuff, but it's a venue. So, mm. you know, there's a timeline that you have to accomplish. And, and so, you know, I had like a day to set up and a day to perform and then it was over. So I was like, okay, I, I guess I could write a piece for this, like a piece using these like sound sculptures in a way, and then have like live musicians performing. But yeah, the the timeline to produce it was tight, <laughs> um, for sure. <laughs> so there's one net holding double basses and another one holding um, uh, kick drums and snare drums, sort of like a cluster of uh, percussion instruments. And you're with, like I say, with Gerald and Brandon. They yes. are. Obviously, I mean, as I've seen, really accomplished and they're right. And in the context of this recording as well, just yes. play mm -hmm. fabulously throughout. Yeah, um, absolutely. So how did you come to work with Gerald and Brandon? I mean, have you worked with them before? What What was it that made you want to bring them into the the, the world into of the Red mix. TV? Mm -hmm. um, I have, uh, I didn't work with them before. Either of them, uh, I'm, you know, I know Gerald, for, I, I know him for a while, we're friends, but we never worked together. Um, I do admire both of their works, 
uh, but obviously. Mm-hmm. And I do have a history of working in, in the past um, with uh, improvisers. Uh, I'm an imp- improviser myself, and I, I you know, I, I've done pieces in which, like, I sort of write a graphic score that deals with actions and objects in time, and then there's people improvising uh, around that. So there are, there are directions, but they're like pretty loose. And for me, it's interesting that the people that are, I'm, I'm performing with bring their own vocabulary to the work in a way. Hmm. And obviously, like, you know, both of their practices are, are amazing. And I felt like they, they would be, able, you know, it's, it's really hard to be like, yeah, you're going to play with this thing that is hanging here. And it's sort of like idiotic in a way. Like, it doesn't do very much. <laughs> it's very limited. Um, so I was like, okay, who, you know, it has to be people that are very open. Um, they have like very open ears in order to be able to relate uh, somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we got together with both of them separately a bunch of times and kind of like thought through the material to see what was possible, what worked, what didn't. I remember Brandon came over and I had like a bunch of wires in the floor just sounding, doing nothing. And I was like, well, this is sort of what it does. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we worked, we worked together in, 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 in the material. And then I wrote a score. But the, yeah, there's a collaborative process there, for sure. The score strikes me as a really interesting presence because I, I looked at it online. I think you had a picture mm-hmm. of it on your site. I think yeah. as well there is evidence, even if um, maybe you're not aware that there's a score, that there's definitely some premeditation involved. I mean, the fact that Gerald actually takes quite a while to come in. Um, and when he does, I mean, hopefully as well, when I was listening today, I've got the chronology right, but <laughs> he's sort of preceded by Brandon activating the snares in one of the nets. And yes. that almost seems like a nice awakening precursor for Gerald to be like, right, I'm coming in. Um, yeah. What? made what what informed your decisions as to like this is such a nebulous question apologies what informed your decisions to to write the score with you know the nets in mind like how do you build a score or build a piece that centers around your interactions with these sculptures say compared to just writing a piece for musicians getting together i mean i've done that in the past like around like uh, from like 2005 to 2012 more or less I was working with uh, sheet metal pieces of sheet metal hanging and using feedback and people and my way to approach that was usually writing graphic scores Mm -hmm. Um, and then I haven't done that in a while because whenever I'm performing right alone it's it's usually just an improvisation and you know, I can change the signal flow or whatever I do, wh- whatever I want to do, and I can manage on my own. Um, but you know, the 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 system in a way, um, it's so complex here, mm. and there is like f- four people involved that I was like, I need to organize this in time in order to be able to achieve different parts because uh-huh. there's too many moving elements, you know. <laughs> And I know how to I know how I know how to write scores for that. So I was like, okay, it's gonna be a score. <laughs> um, 
for example, to have, you know, to have the, the, the double base activate the snares that are in the net, there's a whole like setup that needs to change for that to happen. Right. So in the score, I know that I have to do that at this moment. Then I don't know what he's going to play exactly, but I know that things have to be um, in that position, you know, to, to say it somehow. Mm-hmm. So it has more to do with the, the fact that the setup is, for me, the setup is, far, is it's part of the composition in a way. Um, mm. So it's, it's a way of managing those actions in time, sort of like a visual map of what needs to, to happen. My final question on RedDB centers around your own input as well. I mean, what have you found in terms of your electronics and your contributions to this piece and when working with Red generally, what works best within this context? I mean, let's actually, let's take RedDB specifically because I'm sure it depends, you know, entirely on the context you're in. But with RedDB specifically, I think your electronics, I mean, they're always so interesting to me, the kind of textures that you're driving at. But in what way does your setup of electronics reflect the presence of red like are you working with things that you know will specifically resonate well like literally and otherwise with red as a sculpture um some (laughs) some are (laughs) like for example the use of the snares you know Hmm. um the it's it's deliberated Uh, the fact that i have the bass activating the snares it's a conscious decision Mm -hmm. I know what the instrument is capable of doing, but then sometimes there's also like it doesn't work, you know? Right, yeah. Or like you have like 20 connections and five work of the 20. Right. Um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm, using a, uh, I'm using a few synths to filter the signal. That's sort of like my hands-on playing, you know? Mm-hmm. For that, I use like two analog synths. Um, but it's mostly like responding... Um, responding to the to the sculptures themselves you know to the sounds that they do like that informs what i'm going to do and Mm. it's the same with the musicians in a way Uh, that's why i was saying that it's sort of like a like a dialogue i mean because you're also processing are you directly processing brandon's signal as well yeah Mm -hmm. so there's all these wonderful lines of interconnection going on which i think become apparent throughout the piece um i love it I'd recommend that people check it out. <laughs> so on your website, there is, I believe, video documentation of the entire performance, which is absolutely worth a watch. Like I say, the graphic score is on there as well. And yeah. the piece is out there in audio form too. People, please go and check it out. It's really wicked. Um, Cecilia, let's go to your important records. Now, one question I like to ask before we go on to the records themselves is how you thought about the word important when picking your list. So was there a way that you interpreted important in order to come up with the three records that you did? Yeah, I mean, I tried. Um, and then I got, like, mixed up in the process, sort of. So I don't, I'm not responding to only one interpretation of the word, but I feel like a bunch. Nice. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because in the beginning... I don't, you know, it's like I was like, okay, like three records that I'd sort of like represent my practice. And I was like, no, fuck it, this doesn't work. <laughs> and I was like, okay, three <laughs> records that were important for me that are maybe like not necessarily even good, you know, you know, like, or there's going to be a contradiction. Yeah. 
And then I ended up like doing a mix of everything, as you probably noticed because you hear them. <laughs> you heard them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I, I ended up um, uh, choosing records that are important for me, but they're not necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily represent my practice. You know, they, they they represent like some musical questions that I have. Some they maybe relate to the place where I come from, which is Buenos Aires in Argentina. But it's not like some obscure electronic music or something like that. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, I'll let you pick which one we go for first. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's see. Well, we can talk about the one, uh, the most awkward one, probably, uh, which is like the Charlie Garcia, mm. Clicks Moderns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what you thought about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe start by giving me a little <laughs> intro to why this album is, is important to you. Then. It's important. Yeah. Well, it's funny, like two weeks, I think like two weeks ago, I was talking with a friend that it's also from Buenos Aires and lives in New York. And, uh, you know, we usually talk on, like, Messenger. And he sent me the link to the record, and I put it on. And it was, like, so uplifting. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, yeah, this record, it's sort of, like, it can, like, lift me, even if I'm, like, sort of dead. Like, br- brings so much energy. And I, it's something that I, I grew up listening to. Um, I think that was released in 83, which is the year I, w- I was born. Mm. And it's also like when Argentina, like the dictatorship ended in Argentina. So it's pretty, uh, you know, intense in terms of, in terms of uh, timeline. Mm. Um, you know, I grew up listening to rock music, uh, especially that album and that uh, musician in particular. Um, and there's a whole use of like synths and the song gen- genre. Um, that I'm interested in. I also used to have like a, a song trio, sort of like an experimental pop band in Buenos Aires before moving to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so that informs my practice as well. Do you remember how you first encountered this record? Who introduced you to it? Um, probably my brother. My brother was a fan of his music. And then he was also everywhere. Um, <laughs> but certainly in my house, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty iconic. I was laughing because uh, I thought this uh, song, that which is called like Don't Bomb Buenos Aires, was in the record. But then I was like, oh, no, it's in a different one. Uh, but it's sort of like talking about the Malvinas War, you know, and, and what part of the lyrics is like the, the kids in my neighborhood are, are sheltering, listening to The Clash. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, please don't bomb Buenos Aires. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's kind of like awesome. <laughs> It seems like Charlie's done a lot of work, like across, I mean, loads of different projects. So, yeah. I mean, was there something about this specific record in particular that you thought, you know, this is the one that sticks out in memory or the one that I wanted to pick for this for this list? For this list, I mean, it's you know, I I probably heard it like a hundred thousand times. Um, it was recording in New York. Um, the use of the synths in the record, which are like completely cheesy, I can really relate to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, in red, it's pretty, uh, I want to say subtle, compared to other um, records that I've done in which I play synths. And I'm kind of like into bad taste. And it's sort of like 80s synths are kind of bad taste, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, like the record, I put out a record with uh, Wenchi Lasso last year. Yeah. And he plays drum machine and I play synths and their synths are completely like awkward in a way. <laughs> They're like too much. There's like reverb, delay. It's like, oof, why? Yeah. And I feel like this record has a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's um, possible to date this record, isn't it? Purely by listening to it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels very reminiscent of stuff that was coming out. I mean, Japan, there's a bit of that in there, like maybe not for the synthesizer necessarily, but the kind of general sound and the fretless bass as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A bit of kind of Scott Walker at this period too. Um, yeah, it's great. I actually really enjoyed this record. I thought it was <laughs> fabulous. Like, uh, I mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um as you say, the synths are great, but I mean, tell me about the lyrics as well, because from what I read, I read a bit about Charlie, sounded yeah. like someone who was very politically mindful within his lyrics. And yes. Always in, this is a, a generalisation, but seemed very much in opposition to, to you know, the dominating, domineering power at the time. So um, what are the lyrics on this record about? Well, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like politically, you know, like maybe not. Actually, there is a there is a one of the lyrics is called the dinosaurs, and it's supposedly like talking about the the people in power then, which was the military, uh, the military, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the lyrics talk about that sort of like oppressive environment and you know things related to that. I feel like he was like so successful that they couldn't touch him. Mm. So there's some kind of like impunity with the lyrics and some, some, you know, met metaphoric sense of humor that it's like very interesting in that way. But it's completely like not PC, um, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel it. Um, I think the thing that really stuck out with me on this record is, I don't know what his background is, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of like really awesome syncopation going on. To the point where I found if I paused one of these tracks and came back to it, a lot of the time I did actually lose the downbeat. Like there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> straightforward 4-4 four, four in there that, 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 that keeps you on the rails with a lot of these pieces. Uh -huh. But that Dinosaurs one I think you mentioned, which is yeah. really gorgeous. Doesn't have, I don't think it has drums, does it? But, oh man, like the melody is very easy to lose track of because it's like so much on the offbeat. But yeah, I mean, what what was he doing... Well, I mean, are there other projects of, of, of Charlie's that you were into? I mean, what other stuff was he doing? I mean, all of his solo work is it's great. Uh, he got a little bit, um, you know, it got complicated over time because of, like, addictions and stuff. Hmm. So it's like you would go to see him perform and he would, like, destroy everything. Right. <laughs> kind of like in the 90s. <laughs> and now he's recovered, which is, like, even almost, like, worse than before. Um, but all his solo work from that period is amazing. Um, he used to have a band that was called Switch Shen, uh, no wait, Tsuruhidan, before mm -hmm. his solo stuff, that it's also very good. Sort of like same vibe, like, you know, kind of like funky 80s stuff, but always like working with great musicians. And he's kind of like a piano prodigy. I think he was like a piano teacher when he was like 15 or something. Mm. So the, 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 I mean the musical craft I feel like it's amazing even even if it's like pop music and it's cheesy and whatever it's uh, it's great 
Yeah. The final track is amazing. I played that one yeah. instantly. Yeah. As soon as it yeah. finished, I turned to my baby boy in the car. I was like, we're doing this again. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> but as you say, piano is, is fabulous. I mean, is this a record that you mentioned that a friend reminded you of a record that really uplifted you? I don't know if it brought you back yeah. into this record after some time, but is this a record that is that you're still listening to now? Or Sometimes. Like, I remember having to like uh, set up like an installation and I was like taking the subway at 8 a.m., maybe like a Saturday. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And then if I put this on, I'm like singing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, uh, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I was thinking about important records, I was like, well... What is it, you know? I was like, what is important? Like, I don't know. Like, this is important in a way. Like, more than, I don't know, some, like, electronic thing that got me thinking. It's very uh, to the core, in a way. Pop music, generally, and maybe even cheesy pop music, is that something that holds much of a place in your listening? Um, yeah, definitely. And also, like, I, you know, I worked in... Uh, like doing songs and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like mostly until I moved here and just because I didn't find the right people to collaborate, I stopped doing it. Uh, but it's something that I am, it's, I, I find it very releasing. I find that uh, the use of lyrics and the fact that you're creating content that it's somehow more accessible, it's very liberating in a way. Mm. And there's a lot of other stuff like sense of humor can come in or like... Yeah, I, I, I like that it um, circulates in a different environment, too, you know? Yeah. It's like maybe like less avant-garde uh, snob, but more pop snob. Like a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a change, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's funny, isn't it? Because there are ways, I think, which are certain emotions and certain things that are quite liberated within pop that ironically aren't so much within something called free improvisation. Um, yeah, that you can more readily utilize, which is quite nice. Yeah, sometimes like free improvisation can be like super um, constraining, actually, not so free. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned there your collaborations with Wenchi, and the yeah. the very fact that you spoke about those synthesizers in those terms, I think, alludes to a kind of uh, st a, 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 an unspoken standard that maybe exists within certain circles around. Um, what's the right amount of reverb um yeah kind of <laughs> it's like i feel like it's sort of like you're getting a sandwich and you're putting like a bunch of mayonnaise and you're like yeah more mayonnaise it's like Oof, <laughs> why would you do that yeah it's like yeah i have ketchup and mayonnaise in my synth <laughs> there's only like some context in which like that can actually happen like playing with wenchies definitely one you know <laughs> Um, but he's also from Buenos Aires, and we actually share this background. So that's also interesting in a way. Uh, which background do you mean? Uh, for example, this record, you know? Right, oh, or really? this. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. So, um, so is he uh, a fan of um, when she, uh, sorry, he's a fan of uh, Charlie Garcia as well? I don't know if he's a fan of that in particular, but it's for sure, like, in his, you know, uh, vocabulary. Wow. Yeah, there's something about like, uh, I don't know, like making things a little bit less curated in a way, or less sober, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Cecilia, let's go to your second important record now. So which <laughs> okay. one do you want to go for now? Um, we could talk. Why don't we talk about the Violeta Barra? Yeah, nice. Cool. So yeah, why did this one make the list? <clears throat> well, you know, after choosing uh, Charlie Garcia, well, I was in the conundrum of being like, okay, so I should choose like three records that were important for me. And even if it's going to be like the most awkward uh, selection. <laughs> and then when I was like, then I was like, no, that's too awkward. Like the selection was too much. <laughs> it was okay. That's like opening up a little bit. And um, I feel like Violeta Parra, it's, um, you know, in a way it's also interesting because it's sort of like punk from the, I think that was recorded maybe in the 50s or something. Yeah. Um, it's only her playing guitar, sort of like bare bones boys you know and it's it's kind of like i don't know it reminds me to listen it reminds me listening to Tolonius monk in a way um mm. it's kind of like avant-garde and punk without even wanting to be it i don't know mm -hmm. uh, for me it's kind of like a reminder that you don't need like you don't need much <laughs> you know yeah you mentioned there that it's feels pretty punk which it totally does i mean what what aspects of this record, do you think, are particularly punky? Um, I mean, I don't know. We can talk, for example, about the first song, which is the El Gavilan, mm. <clears throat> which actually it's it's talking about a, a guy, I guess. You know, it's sort of or sort of a, like a hard heartbreaking situation. So she's talking like she's calling like someone like a liar, like a hawk, you know, <laughs> etc. Um, but it, it gets into these like abstract guitar forms that are mm. amazing. They're, it's non-apologetic at all. You know, in a moment in which like music, I feel like, you know, they're, they're, it, ha it had the potential of being like very formal, very like, oh, now there's this, now there's this. And this yeah. is like very deployed of, of any, uh, it's, it's not polite. <laughs> right. Um, and the, even with the voice, like the, count, the counterpoint between the guitar and the voice, it's like completely bizarre and sort of like backwards sometimes. Yes. And, and there's not much, like, it's not informed in a way. Not that she's not informed, but it's not didactic to whoever is listening. Mm. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you say the, 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 the guitar and the voice are reversed, it's, it's quite... It's really pronounced sometimes how the guitar seems to be chasing what she's saying and like yeah. following, like, you know, following her voice as it goes up and down and through reiterations of certain lyrics and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, do you, do you remember how you first discovered this one? I think this one I discovered through my composition teacher at the time, who was uh, Carmen Valiero which is, a, she's a composer um, from Buenos Aires. And her work, you know, it's interesting because she works both like in the avant-garde scene, but also like in, she does like popular music. So mm. like that uh, distinction between like popular music and avant-garde music, it's, it's not uh, really there. Uh, probably mm. there's something of that that came out in this selection of albums as well, you know? Because I feel like this is more avant-garde than, you know, a bunch of, like, new music that I heard recently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly. Um, it's, like, out there, mm. in a way. And what do you know about Violetta generally as well? Because I did, a, again, a bit of reading 
yeah. on her and sounds like she had a pretty amazing life like seemed to be very read up and dedicated to the study of uh folk in chile is that mm-hmm. right in chile mm-hmm. i think so yeah and then he she also like lived in paris a bunch of times yeah. like throughout her life um there's a lot she has, she also has a lot of like songs that are more uh you know folk that have been like adopted you know in a way that it's more conservative if you want to call it Hmm. But um, these compositions are amazing. I mean, for me, they're amazing in 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 the in 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 the same way that uh, Monk is amazing. Like uh, you yes. know, composition wise, mm. it's like there's stuff missing. There's stuff uh, you know backwards. You, you feel like you're into someone's uh, head in a way. And she was also uh, an ethnomusicologist, mm. so she did a lot of like folk studies. Um, but I don't know. I find this to be like particularly uh, personal and you know subjective in a way. About more about her life, I think she was also like a visual artist. Yeah, she was pretty accomplished, like you know, in South America and 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 Europe a little bit too, like doing recordings for for, as far as I understand, for for Europe for European labels and stuff, wow. which is also not, not very common. Yeah. How long has this record been with you? When did you first come into it? Hmm, probably when I was a teenager, like 15, 17. When you think back to like discovering this record and like initially listening to it, like what kind of memories come to mind? Like, I think it's like me trying to figure out uh, what do I want it to do with music in a way. So it's very like formative. Um, hmm. And the fact that uh, she's doing what she's doing with so little elements, in a way, yeah, um, what's what's important for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that you don't need you, you don't need much to produce something that it's uh, that it's pushing forwards. Yeah, you just need like a good idea. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, when you talk about her being really avant-garde, I think what I find really fascinating is. Just this, almost this, this sense that maybe that because she's so informed on tradition within, mm-hmm. say, Chile music, she's able to perhaps subvert it in a way which is more like immediately uncanny. Um, uh, you know, I, I think of musicians, there's a musician called Laura Cannell as well, um, who's based over here, who works a lot with like forms that are present within early music. But mm-hmm. the way she strings out improvisations, because they're based, I guess, on very uh, forms that are very embedded within our music, but twists them. That's weirder than someone just doing like a big gargle and a raspberry into a microphone, you know, like uh, because there's something in there recognizable that's just knocked out of joint. Um, yeah, that's, that feels present within this this record as well by Violetta. Yeah, it makes sense. And I feel it's also like she she lets it be like very personal in a way that it's almost like borderline, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, her voice is, I mean, speaking of personal, is a really, because I, I think it takes a while for it to come in. When it did, I was like, oh, blimey. Okay, here we go. Yeah. I didn't realize that her voice was going to be on it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, what, what appeals about her voice to you? It sounds almost like a theremin to me for some yeah. of this. Yeah, it's very like... Um high pitch like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's um but i feel like that's cool it's like non-pretentious you know it's not trying to be 
something else than what it is. I think that's punk in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's not trying to be imposted. Impo- no, imposted. I don't know if that's a word. Um, mm-hmm. Like a beautiful voice. It's not trying to be like a beautiful melody. If not, it's not trying to be like didactic. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's very rough. Uh, that's what I love about it. Yeah, totally. Um, and do you have a favorite track? Um, probably that one, El Gavilan, uh-huh. which is the longest, the longest one. I think it's all, both track, the first one and the last one in the link that I sent you. Cecilia, a final important record. Uh, yeah, if you could introduce it and tell me a bit about why this one's important to you too. Yeah, so this one, um, this one, I, I think this record, I came to know it through Wenchilazo. Ah. Um, yeah, probably. Um, and it's by uh, Eduardo Rovira. It's a trio that he had with... Um, guitar player and a bassist and it's the first um record of electrified quote-unquote tango Mm. um so he's using uh tremolo and i think like something else for the vandonian and then electric guitar in the 60s in 68 i think so it's a it's a record that i'm again like i have I think I mostly have like an emotional uh, bound to this record, but it's also like interesting for me how it's pushing um, a genre forwards without being like, um, you know, bombastic in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's very intimate. It's very like timber oriented. It's very personal again. And it's still like tango. I read again a bit about I should stop saying I read about. Of course, I did a research for the podcast. <laughs> um, but sounds like that he came up within, I guess, tango more formally, and some of the people who are more prominent within tango generally before pushing it forward. Which I guess is kind of like, you know, the way it tends to happen if you're pushing a genre outside of its usual remit. Um, but what is your relationship with, like with 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 tango generally are you a fan of tango yeah. um yeah i mean not necessarily you know i'm not crazy about the genre but i grew up uh, around it of course mm. um i mean i do like it there's of course like a little bit of a national uh, you know nationalistic thing that is like yeah tango <laughs> and uh i can relate to many of the, you know i can relate to the spirit certainly um there's something about buenos aires like the buenos aires like melancholic sort of like spirit and always complaining and uh, (laughs) like we're not it's not samba that's for sure (laughs) yeah but this record in particular you know it's like a it's it's the only record that came out of this trio um so they only did this recording 
it's 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 again it's a little bit like a jewel that it's like not very well known um like i think like piazzolla was very well known at that time but he like went to study in france and went to you know got all this like international attention and Rovira is a little bit like the other side of that same coin you know mm. sort of like doing the work based in, in, in Buenos Aires and b being like very little well known um, but still like pushing um, and trying new stuff yeah I read this one was <laughs> shunned by the general tango loving public I, yes. <laughs> well, it sounds weird. I mean, the, the bandoneon with tremolo makes sense now, you know. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think it made sense then. Um, I I do have. I do a lot of work filtering instruments. Probably that has to do with it. Uh, with with my connection to the record as well, like timberly, you know. Mm. Just like the sound of that bandoneon being filtered, uh, I find it to be like so pleasurable. Yeah, it's like a soothing. It's a little bit like a soothing record. To be honest, yeah, this 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 one was a really nice record to listen to, driving round. I mean, uh, the exactly the... like driving under the rain. That's right. sort of like my memory. Driving in Buenos Aires under the rain and yeah, listening to it. Exactly. There's always an opportunity to do that here as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know loads about tango, so obviously uh -huh. the fact that it was electrified that was the kind of main headline that I saw in relation to this record. That it was like the first record to electrify the tango. Which I can imagine may have been quite shocking if that's not been done before. But I mean, are there other ways as well, apart from electrification, that this record subverts or, or tweaks the tango as it's more like traditionally understood? Um, I would assume that it's also, you know, some because he has a, a lot of work uh, with an octet that he had. And there's all these tango records that are um, sort of like grandiloquent in a, in a way, you know? It's like these very large groups being like, uh, sort of like trying to achieve some kind of like, a, I don't know why the word bombastic keeps coming back, but it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, an, like a giant orchestra, you know, it's like big and stuff. And this is like just like three instruments being, uh, you know, electrified well whatever you know whatever that means but it's again it's like very personal you know mm -hmm. and i feel that the tunes are very personal as well they go from you know places that are like super like dynamically is very varied and and the the songs themselves are very varied yeah um, there's a version of uh, fuego lento that it's uh, amazing yeah uh, but that's like a super traditional tango and it's like completely bizarre <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the, the it's interesting you mention it in relation to his work with octets, which I haven't heard. But this mm -hmm. trio of instruments, I think, sounds so interesting as like a combination, as like a fundamental combina combination of instruments. There's something that sounds particularly, I think, with the fact that there's a lot of speeding up and slowing down. There's a lot of dynamic variation, like something very precarious about the whole setup. Like it's sound. It seems to me like someone on a um a unicycle but 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 they're sort of like veering around there's this something there's like a real balancing act going on i don't know yeah what that is but do, do you know what i mean especially if you're electrifying it there's like a little motor on it as well which makes the whole thing a bit more haphazard um i really like that about this 
this this record it gives it like a nice energy this like imbalance that's going on yeah it's sort of like it's laying there like it's like very melancholic and then it's super energetic like yeah bre- you know picking up the theme again and then it breaks down um but i feel like sonically i mean it's called sonico right not for anything but the fact of like also like focusing the putting the focus on the timber of the ensemble mm. it's uh it's kind of a breakthrough on itself in a way i also read as well there's a band called sonico have you heard of this yes this band so they're, they're dedicated to rescuing as they say the repertoire of rivera i mean if you are you familiar with the work that they're doing or not really hmm <laughs> <laughs> It seems to imply. Not really, not really. I saw the website and I didn't, I didn't hear the music. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I feel like the, it's such a, it's a little bit like a once in a once in a lifetime. You know, it's like they got together, they did one record. That's all the recordings that there are, and it's sort of like, uh, it's a little bit like a shooting star. You know. Yeah. I don't know if it makes sense to try to do it again, but um, but I like the fact that it's so unique in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. The song that I was talking about, I think is number three, A Fuego Lento. Yes. Which is kind of like intense traditional tango, but the, the version is insane. And when you think back as well to, to, to memories of first discovering this record, or maybe your most prominent memories, just listening to this record generally, what kind of yeah. experiences are coming into your head? I think there's a lot of uh, contemplation. Like, I, you know either it being like driving around the city and just like there's something about like embracing some kind of melancholic spirit that probably it's cultural you know Mm -hmm. it's like we have that (laughs) um (laughs) that feels very it it, it's a it feels very um there's something like there's like a home uh element for me there Mm. yeah in in two of those records like in this one and the charlie garcia one it, it feels like home I'm probably homesick. (laughs) (laughs) We could talk about that as well. When you really want to like dig into a record, so mm-hmm. you know, by any like either these three records or you know any record that you enjoy listening to, like is there um is there a particular setup that you have, a particular way to listen to records that you go to to like really drink in an album? Um. Yes. Um, let's see. I mean, you know, besides like just like listening to something over and over again, <laughs> yeah, um, which is like the most common. I do have a practice of filtering music. You know, I have a record that I did with this uh, rotating oil, oil drums that have speakers inside and they're sort of like filtering machines. And then I do a lot of filtering music through synths and stuff. Ooh. And I feel like all of the recordings that have become very personal for me, you know, the records that I sort of like have adopted into my collection, if you want, 
um, I've done a bunch of listening and filtering. Um, so probably that's a, that's a thing. Like I've done it with these three records, you know, just like play, put them on and, and play, play with them sort of. Huh. Wow. Um, talk talk yeah. me through that bit. Like what, what kind of treatments are you putting these records through? I mean, with that, um, with the oil drum machine, it's like a motion thing. It's kind of like a filtering. I mean, the, the, I put a record out that it's called uh, Versiones Arruinadas, which uh, would translate to uh, ruined versions. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's that, actually. It's like songs that I, I have like a personal relationship with um, and that I'm altering, filtering them. And this is like motion-based, but then like I would use, you know, just like a, an analog filter uh, maybe both, maybe, you know, whatever. Like, I, I think I was using, like, a, like, sheet metal as a plate and then adding synthesis. Wow. Um, they're almost like listening exercises or something. That's so interesting. I've, I've not had anyone on the podcast who says that that's a means by which, you know, they maybe most intimately interact with their records. It kind of almost pulls in the opposite direction. You know, a lot of answers to huh. that question are like, you know, I go somewhere very quiet and put a awesome pair of headphones on or something and 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 have it in its sort of original form as meticulously Pristine. as possible right so so what what appeals to you about putting the records through that process it's really cool i don't know um i think i was just like i don't know why i was like remember you know when you bring like a backpack to a house with a cat and the cat like rubs their head like to make it their own <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I I know the record so well, you know. Uh, after that, mm -hmm. there, there's something about like I mean, my my work it's very uh, timbral in a way. I really you know I I think a lot about the sonic aspect of music, so I think there's something about that too. Mm. And I don't know, just like a deviated listening practice in a way. Yeah. Um, in a way, like, maybe I also, like, learn about the devices that I'm using by using them with music that I know very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell exactly what they're doing or not, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I also, like, stretch. I, I think there's something, like, humorous about, like, I don't know. I like how, like, deformed, you know, I have, like, a deformed Chet Baker version. <laughs> Of like I fall in love too easily and it's completely bizarre and I don't it make me it makes me laugh. <laughs> I don't know there's something wrong, but um, yeah, there's something about like you know subverting the the or like trans um, uh, transgiversing is that a word? I mean the, I know what you mean when you say it. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the original music and I'm also like not into pristine necessarily i'm not into pristine sound or you know i'm not like um i don't know it's like my there's the, usually like whenever like i'm working in my own stuff like i embrace the machines that i'm using and i like that they're they they color the sound mm. and i like that they fail and that they're not neutral and stuff uh-huh yeah so i don't know yeah um but yeah i mean you know i remember like listening to uh Oh, was it Coltrane, like 11 in the morning, just like filtering it with the synth <laughs> Sunday, like in pajamas. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? 
but I do that. <laughs> um, yeah, or Bach. Yeah, wow. it happens. That's amazing. What I think is really interesting because I've done a, you know, a bit of that or 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 taking segments and looping stuff. It's yeah. so cool the colors that you can bring out. I guess, especially if you're filtering in a a, a way which is very much using the original as like the primary energy driver where you like i find you can notice stuff that you that exists within that music and is you know within that music that just isn't possible to access or is is tucked to the back when listening yeah. to it in like more of a conventional context where you're like there's this whole emotional hue that is just tucked away in there that if you shake the record up uh, or like twist it or scrunch it like it that 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 starts to drip out uh, but you can't get to it otherwise that's really cool yeah definitely yeah and, and it's also a little bit liberating because we were talking about this before in a way you know like the the listening that you would do filtering something that it's not yours might be like way more open than the listening that you're doing when you're listening to your own sounds right yeah there's like a different uh I feel like there's a very different approach and I'm, that's, uh, I'm interested in that, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cecilia, this has been excellent. I've had a great time talking about these records, talking about Red Thank DB you. and also ways as, w as well just to mangle sound. It's been great. Thank you very much for uh, No, for thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and to everyone listening, thank you. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.